And we're back with episode three of Making Sense of Neuroscience and Humans at Work. And again, I'm joined by Clive Highland today, and we're going to discuss a big subject today, which is making sense of our emotions. Very excited to get into this subject, and it is so important. We're going to look at this in two parts. So we're going to look at why our emotions are so important for our well-being, and in the second part, we're going to have a focus in on shame, a very under-talked about emotion, which is really, really important um, and can lead to some very unhelpful behaviours, which hopefully we will look at how to address today. So hi, Clive. Welcome back. Nice to see you. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. I'm feeling quite emotional. Are you? Well, that's good. You well, that's shocking, you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're expecting me to come in and be calm, you know. If I throw my emotions at you, you're already in trouble, right? <laughs> I know, actually. Do you know what? I did have to pause there for a minute and think, oh, what am I going to yeah, say? Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's the point, isn't it? We start with the point is we're always hiding our emotions. So you'd expect me to say, yeah, I'm fine. But yeah, you know, we, yeah, we are true. rarely fine. You know, yeah. so, so hopefully yeah. we've set the tone for the discussion. You're right, and I'm just glad you didn't ask me how I'm feeling today. Then, well, I'll then you come would have got it back. Later. Yeah, <laughs> we've only got twenty minutes. Vic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. We better get on with it then. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Clive. You know, we've spoken about this before. Yeah. When I was growing up, emotions were not talked about. In fact, I'm not even sure the word emotion came up at all, really, in any context. You know, at home, we just got on with things. We didn't really talk about things, and at work. I still remember being told you leave your problems at home and you turn up to work in a different state. And I get that to some extent that is still true. But this whole subject of emotions has really had a revolution, I think. And understanding them and how they impact behaviour has been absolutely life changing for me and fundamental in me being able to produce the behaviours in the world that I want for myself now rather than having my emotions dictate them to me. Hmm. And I think this is such an important subject for discussion. So I was going to ask you, Clive, could you just talk us through some of the core concepts behind why understanding our emotions is so important? Where do they come from in the first place? Okay, so yeah, as you said, it is a big subject. And I'll pick up your, your, your question right at the end there. Where do they come from? So um, let's put that in an evolutionary context. So the reason that we have emotions is because we are mammals who became humans. And the function of emotions is to enable us to cooperate. Okay, so it's an absolute function, which is we can't share our instincts, which is, you know, uh, reptiles are driven by instincts. But when mammals came along, we needed to have emotional connections so that we could operate in groups. Okay. Now, the way that emotions work in the body is really quite interesting. Because when you look at reptiles, they have very binary responses to stimuli. So what it means is they're almost, they're so pre-programmed that they'll do one thing or another. You know, it's, it's, it's very black and white. Okay. When we introduce emotions, things became much more varied and in many ways more messy. So when we're talking in an emotional space, things can be very important or not very important. They can be very positive or they can be very negative. That's not the experience of a reptile. Okay. So that's part of our evolutionary development as a species. What's important then to, to measure is that to be in a state of real health and well-being, we need to be in a state of balance. And the word for that balance is homeostasis. 
It means when everything is in the right place in the body, and therefore, you know, we're in an optimum position to survive and to perform. Emotions are our body's way of telling us that we're out of balance. So basically, we need to get back. When we're feeling, for instance, a negative emotion, which is what most people relate to, it means that we're out of balance and the body is having to work extra hard to cope with that state of being out of balance. Mm. So you can think of homeostasis as almost like being a midpoint on a dial and we're trying to get back to that midpoint. So emotions demand action. They're there always, even though they feel negative, they're there to protect us. So for instance, when we're feeling anger or fear, the need is, it's there for a reason, you know, something has triggered us, something at a deeper level is threatening our survival, and that could be physical survival or it could be emotional survival. But what it's actually doing is saying to the body, we are at a balance and we can't stay in this state. So it demands action to get back into state. All right. Now, that's just the emotional stuff. Of course, we are humans and there's a lot then of interaction with thoughts, etc., etc. But that is the starting point. So emotions are there to help us understand how we deal with the world and what's going on in our body. That's probably yeah. enough for the moment. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really interesting because I guess we have to listen to our bodies then. Absolutely. So, you know, that's that's been a key thing for me. So pausing, listening to what my body is telling me and then choosing a more logical way to interpret that and how to respond rather than just responding. Yeah, I'd watch, I'd watch the word logical. That's a bit too narrow for me. I think it needs to be because um, you can't take the emotion out of it. So your response needs to be almost like self-compassionate, mm. if you know what I mean. It's like understanding them. Don't force them into a logical box, but absolutely you need your thoughts to come in and interpret. And there are, you know, there's specific parts of the brain called the midline structure where emotions start interacting and become thoughts. So we have a bottom-up process from the body, which is instinctive and emotional, and then we have a thought process that comes down from the top of the brain, the cortex, to interpret those sensations in the body. And that's where we try to make sense of our thoughts, yeah. of our emotions. Yeah. And, I, and I think that getting to balance concept is lovely. I bet it doesn't happen very often for many of us. Uh, and I know there's lots of other things we can talk about there that help get us into a state of balance. But so, you know, if we were just responding emotionally, what would that look like then? Oh, well, we couldn't cope. You know, I mean, society couldn't cope with us just responding emotionally. Um, you know, it's... Um, we, for instance, you could take the concept of, you know, why can't we just all be honest? Because we can't handle it, <laughs> is the truth. You know, because we're so wrapped up in our own protective mechanisms. The, the story that we tell ourselves is the phrase that I always use, that if somebody threatens that, honestly or not, it, it shakes us. So, you know, we need to rebuild society in that sense to move towards honesty. But I absolutely think we should do that. And the biggest barrier of all towards that is denial. See, the point of emotions is, you know, people will often say things to me like, well, you know, can I, how can I learn to handle my, posit my emotions positively, right? It's not about being positive at that stage. At that stage, it's about understanding why you have the emotion you have. Mm. So if you can feel yourself, for instance, being defensive because somebody has said something, you know, try and take that time, and time is a really important point here, to just give the reflective brain a chance to work out why it is you're feeling defensive. And that's about being honest with yourself. And sometimes that's difficult, you know, very difficult when we've told ourselves the same story 
throughout our lives. For instance, we may be telling ourselves, I can handle anything, I'm indestructible, right? Which is total rubbish, right? And eventually that story is going to break and you build up emotions like a dam holding back the water. And what then happens, the dam cracks and all the emotions come pour out, pouring out and become abusive, become violent, or you become self-destructive, you know? So it's about understanding them, mm -hmm. understand where they come from, because it's your own body's cry for help. Okay, so yeah, you know, clearly there are positive emotions as well. For the moment, we're talking about this, what we call the survival emotions, which feel um, quite tough as an experience. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't mind just quickly covering the sort of core emotions in a minute. And um, yeah, I, yeah I, I sometimes look at it as you know what you can control and what you can't. And the way I've come mm. to think of it to yeah. myself is that sometimes I can't control how I respond to a situation because it's ingrained into me. And I haven't yet built up a new path for that response. But if I can pause and if I can understand and recognize what's happening, then I can control my response. And I think that mm -hmm. is the, the concept behind this popular phrase of emotional intelligence, isn't it? Is that, you know, we learn to understand and regulate our response to emotions. And I know you like mm -hmm. to call them intelligent emotions because of the, you know, the information coming from the body and then yeah. producing itself in our behaviors. So, mm -hmm. so I think that, you know, acceptance sometimes that yeah okay you know at the moment we might not be able to control how we're responding to something but let's pause let's think and let's decide how we want to respond in reality to that and like you said that mm. that takes time maybe to get that awareness of how we uh, are triggered by different events and and mm. then the practice of responding differently to events as well and I suppose that's just as important at home as at work you know in all different environments so yeah, well, let's come back to this word time again. You know, I've said in previous podcasts that the thing with the emotions, they're instantaneous. You know, they rest extremely quickly in the brain, right? Much quicker than thoughts. So our thoughts come along after the event. And normally they're just trying to interpret our emotions because something else has already started in the body. You know? So it is vital that we, we get better at giving ourselves time and space to try to think through what's going on. You know, raw emotions, you know, is a good description. But we then, to interact with ourselves and with the world, need to have a more sophisticated level of, of response to that. And that is that reflective space. So, you know, whether it's in the moment, taking a second or so, you know, to think about, hold on, um, you know, why am I feeling this? And there's an interesting aside here, because in the brain, we can be very specific, okay, about when certain emotions and thoughts occur in the brain, okay? So I've said before, 80 milliseconds is when we start seeing emotions register in the brain, right? We have unconscious thoughts at 250 milliseconds, right? Now, I won't go into that explanation for the moment, but those thoughts raise to awareness at 420 milliseconds. The reason I'm raising this, before we trigger an action, is around 670 milliseconds. Now, that all sounds very complex, but it means there's a quarter of a second opportunity to exercise self-control. <laughs> that's not long enough for me, Clive. <laughs> exactly, that's right. I'm sorry, I've tried to work on it, but I can't, I can't change it, right? So it literally means, because of the speed that we work at, there is an opportunity to exercise control of our emotions. And that is vital to have a society that works. The problem is, is when we do that at the expense of our own authenticity, 
Mm. Right. So when we are constantly putting a bottle, a lid on our emotions so that we can avoid confrontation or, you know, hang on to the way that we see our own identity. Yeah. That's when the danger arises, because that dam is coming under more and more pressure and isn't going to last. OK, so the, by, by being much more authentic about what's going on in our own bodies, by being more open to what the world is offering us and how we interact with it, we're in yeah. a much healthier space. That is, that is interesting. And, you know, you can apply that to so many different contexts. Can't you? What I have noticed is that sometimes if I am strongly reacting to something emotionally, I do actually have to pause for quite some time to gather myself, to bring myself back yeah. into some sort of balance before responding. And actually, I have been criticised for that sometimes. I've been told, you know, why, why is it taking you so long to reply to something? Or um, what, why are you not saying anything? And it's yeah. not because I'm being difficult. It's actually because I'm doing that process. Yeah. I'm, I know I want to respond in a way that's not helpful. And I'm having to force myself to yeah. wait until I can give a response that's going to be more helpful in the situation I'm in. And that take, sometimes just takes me a bit longer than other people feel comfortable with. And sometimes it doesn't. But it's important to me, I think, that I do yeah. that because then you don't escalate a situation. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you you wait for at least a couple of seconds, and yeah, then yeah, you exactly. Yeah, you get angry just a little bit yeah, later. You enjoy it. You, you care about why you're doing it, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but but you, you know you're absolutely doing the right thing. You know because it's like yeah, the other person may have a need for you to respond more quickly, but if that means you are then just playing to their agenda, you are again bending yourself out yeah. of shape. Okay, so this is about the practice of just thinking things through before you dive in, particularly if you sense that you've you know, you've got an emotional response within you. I think that that's a yeah. very good practice for all of us. Before we move on to part two, Clive, do you want to just summarise for the listeners what the core emotions are? I know there's lots of different ways that they are categorised, but I, I think the way that you yeah, speak yeah. about it is helpful because it keeps it relatively simple and sort of represents the categories of emotions out there. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, so within neuroscience, which is obviously my, my reference point, you know, you will get slightly different models referred to. So this, I can't say there's just one, but I think this is probably the mainstream one, the one that I come up uh, come across more often. Um, and that is, you know, we need to think in terms of survival emotions and thrive emotions, right? So typically, survival emotions, as it would suggest, are there to keep us alive, but they're usually negative experiences, Right now, there's a list of five that are generally recognized, and the first of those is fear, the second is anger. Okay, and the, the people would come up with those pretty quickly, right? Then there's sadness. Okay, now, sadness, for instance, you know, well, well we can explain in the second part exactly why we've got these emotions, but then the l less known ones are disgust and shame. Now, shame in particular plays a very significant role. Okay, well, in fact. They all do, but again, people don't understand the shame one quite so much. Um, and you're left with the question, well, why the hell is experiencing shame? How, how can that help us survive? So let's hold that question there until the second part. When you come under the positive emotions, they typically, we just talk about two. And that's an accurate reflection of the amount of processing time that we spend in, in the brain because we spend a lot more time processing negative emotions to keep us alive than we do processing positive emotions, right? But nevertheless, these thrive emotions, the positive ones, 
generally referred to as excitement or joy, you know, so it's a high arousal state. And then there's a karma state, which is contentment or peace or love. Okay, they're the words that tend to be used. Now, in the middle of that lot, sometimes referred to as emotion also, is, is freeze. Okay, and that's basically where there is no response, you know. So we just freeze because there's something in, in, in front of us which we haven't experienced before. Whether that's an emotion or as an in instinct is a bit more debatable. So I suspect, you know, our time will probably be spent looking at the positives and the negatives. Yeah, okay. That's great, Clive. Thank you. What we're going to do now is going to move on to part two where we'll have a look at shame in particular in, in more detail. Clive, you mentioned the survival and thrive emotions there. And you know, some of them are, are better known than others. One that caught my attention early on, and I think is really important in the workplace is shame. And there's a quote I saw recently that I really like by Carl Jung, which shame is a soul eating emotion. And I thought, wow, that really captures it for me. Because like you said, in part one, it's not often talked about, it's not often understood, but I think has a really unhealthy fundamental impact on people at work. Mm. Could we just explore that a bit further? Well, I think first of all, because I like to have surprises, is, you know, why it resonates so much with you. So, you know, in some way, there must be a particular chord, you know, that is resonating in you, which means that you have experienced shame, right? something that you would label as shame, and therefore it's got a deeper meaning for you. You don't have to explain the reason why, but is that the case? Is there something you recognize as, you know, it's been part of your experience? Absolutely. I think I've experienced shame in my life much more than I ever realized. I just never had a label for what it was and therefore never did anything much about it. I mean, you know my background in the legal profession, but, but also wider than that, you know, that, that fear of, what other people think, that fear of being judged, that fear of being uh, discounted for some reason. You know, it was not some, those, those feelings were never something I would have given the label shame to. And they apply in so many different situations. Um, that understanding that that's all it is in some ways has been brilliant. <laughs> you know, it's been a really positive experience because now I can recognize it, understand it and do something with yeah, it. Absolutely. And the starting point is very much to understand what's the point of shame, because it doesn't feel there's nothing nice about it, is it, in terms of the experience. But the whole point of shame was it was one of the, you know, I was talking about mammals earlier on, and the whole point of it really is to, it's like the stick and the carrot. In, in terms of the group, this is the stick, you know, to, to enable people to bond to the group, which was vital for both mammals and, you know, and humans. Okay. then we had to have these incentives, if you like, to keep us together. So shame was a way of avoiding you wandering off from the group. And that was critical to our survival. You know, it wasn't some complex psychological uh, manipulative thought process. It was critical that we stayed together in groups to enable us to survive, right? Because we're up against predators. And you know that any, any animal attack in a group will always look for the one that's isolated. Okay, so we have to come back into into our group. So first of all, you need it's about recognizing that and say, okay, so if I'm experiencing shame, that is coming from the body, and it's telling me that you know um, why I feel the way I do as a starting point. Then comes the whole process of so where is the shame coming from, and that'll be part of the external 
experience and part of the internal. But and therefore, you know, you get into quite deep conversation on individual case level. But the point is just understanding it's simply your body trying to help you. You know, it's it's nothing wrong with you. It, it's absolutely something that you're entitled to have. And when you start recognizing that emotion, exactly as you said, you can start doing something about it. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And yes. I think it should be talked about more in the workplace. Um, I've done talks recently on what people call mm. imposter syndrome, although I don't particularly like the title. It, you know, it encapsulates this idea of fear of judgment, fear of, you know, not being good enough and all those sorts of things, which mm. I, I associate with the emotion of shame. Um, and I think the more people understand it, the more almost you can really see how it's not as significant as the impact it has on us. Once you can put it into that broader context of understanding why it's happening and actually what would the consequences actually be if I did say what I was going to say or not be afraid of what mm. I was afraid of. Um, and that slowly then hopefully encourages people not to let shame hold them back. So I do think shame is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. because I think it holds people back and it creates, you know, problems and challenges where, where they don't necessarily need to be, but we need to talk about it more in work. The big worry about shame is isolation, you know, so it drives us into a place where we lose connection with others, as you said, for the reason like we feel that we don't belong. Um, and there are plenty of examples, you know, where people get become depressed. It's often the starting point of depression because they feel they don't belong. They, they shut themselves away more and more and they become subject to their own delusions, if you like. Now, delusions is a strong word, and I don't mean it judgmentally, but it's like they're, they're creating their own world to a degree, and that's a very negative and dark world. Now, there's, a, there's another very modern example of that, which I, I think will touch a broader audience, which is um, children with uh, social media. Okay, Part of the danger of, you know, children recruiting, uh, sorry, retreating into their bedrooms, for instance, to get absorbed in social media, is there could be some sort of shame sensation being experienced there because they're hearing in social media circles that, that forms of abuse, you know, intentional or otherwise, that make them feel bad about themselves. Now, the worse that they feel, the more they will retreat. They'll carry on playing the game of showing normal behavior you know whatever that means to other people and in particular their parents but actually what they're doing is getting deeper and deeper into a dark place so shame is can be very dangerous in that sense and so spotting the signs of it are vitally important whether you're talking a personal space or an organizational space and normally it just means you know, making sure that people don't get isolated, sustaining contact with them and having meaningful dialogue with them. It's a big subject that we can't do justice to now, but I'm just, you know, it's a powerful emotion. That's my point. There to protect yes. us, but it can endanger us if we don't know how to handle it. I think that's so right. And although not a particularly chirpy way to end the podcast, I think it's really important. And we will come back and revisit these subjects in more detail. Yeah. I think like you said, that isolation point really um, made me stop and think because, you know, the, the children example is going to hit a lot of people's hearts and the worries the parents have about their children. But even at work, thinking about someone who slowly retreats and retreats and retreats because they're subject to some fears they've placed on themselves to the point yes. where it does turn from maybe 
lack of performance or participation into something much worse like yes. stress, anxiety, and ultimately um, even burnout or depression, mm. whatever it is, yep. then is, is horrible to think about. And so mm. easily, not easily rectified, but easily educated on to help yes. people rectify it the more we yep. talk about it. So, so I'm pleased to be discussing it today and we will come back and revisit um, these these subjects in more detail in future podcasts. And as always, if you've got any ideas you would like Clive and I to discuss on the podcast, please do let us know at info at trymakingsense.com. But until then, I'll say goodbye from me and goodbye from Clive. <laughs> Thank you. Ronnie so, yeah. said that, didn't they? Or was it something like that? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone remembers them. We've got to work um, on that one, Vic, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, we shall be back with the next episode soon. Thank you, Clive. Thank you. Bye-bye.